Last Sunday, we started talking about the call of God and the preparation process to answer the, uh, the call of God in our lives. God has a plan for your life. God has a specific purpose for you, for every one of us. And He is in the process of preparing us for His purpose. And there are some things that are specific to your call, whatever you, your call might be. If, you're, if you are going to be a teacher, for example, then the preparation is going to be different than if you're going to be a musician, unless you're going to be a music teacher, in, in which case they're very similar. Um, but my point is that I'm not talking in this series about specific things that we need to do to prepare for our call, to respond to our call, the call of God in our lives, but general things that we all need to do in order to accomplish God's plan and purpose for our lives. And so we're learning three preparation principles, three things that we need to know if we want to fulfill God's plan and purpose in our lives. Last week we learned the first principle, and the first principle is this. You can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. You can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. So if you missed that, uh, that sermon, listen, uh, listen to it again uh, or listen to it for the first time. Or again, if you, if you heard it, maybe share it with somebody if, if you think it's helpful. Um, you can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. Uh, we talked about how we, we need His strength. God's plan is not about us. But it's about God's purpose, so we need His, His strength. And uh, we need people praying for us. People praying for us because we won't win the battle without prayer support. We talked about that last week. Today we're going to look at a principle that I think is, uh, is a little more difficult, maybe for some people a lot more difficult to apply. In fact, this is an issue that uh, gets people off track. Gets, uh, and I've seen it, and, and it's something that I, even I... Uh, have struggled with in the past. It, in, it gets people off track when it comes to God's plan and purpose being accomplished in their lives. And uh, so let's talk about that. And, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about God's timing. And this is important because we live in such an instant society, don't we? We live in a society in which we are accustomed to getting what we want when we want it. And we want it right away. We don't like to wait. This is why we have drive-through restaurants. When Karis was about three years old, I had her with me. I picked her up. Had picked her up from school, and um, I had to go to the bank. So I pulled up to the ATM, and she says, "Uh, Daddy, I'm not hungry." <laughs> I thought, "Baby, this is not a restaurant. This is not a drive-through restaurant." You know, she was so accustomed to that. I said, "No, this is an ATM." So I had to explain to her what what that was. Uh, but, you know, she's, she's uh, conditioned, <laughs> we might say. But we, you know, we have drive through restaurants, we have fast food, we have minute rice. Uh, we have, and for some of you, this has been all your life, but for some of us older ones, uh, do you remember the first time we got the credit card slots right on the, uh, on the gas pumps? How convenient that was. Wow, I can do it right here, you know. Uh, I remember way back when the... The gas, you know, the, the, the cost of gas, the price went digital. I, I, I was in college. Remember how excited that was, you know. But we want something quick that will be right there. We expect people to answer our text messages immediately or our emails. 
We have video of demand on demand. How many of you watch video on demand? So we can watch a movie anytime, any place we want to. We have ATMs, like I said, so we can get cash anytime, anywhere. And we have broadband internet, so we don't have to listen to this sound. To this sound. How many of you remember this? And we're going. Kids, that's what we had to listen to before broadband internet. That's how we got online. I mean, and we you just wait there, you know, and, and for this. This is called dial-up, by the way, dial-up internet. So, um, and we don't have that anymore. Um, we don't have the dial tone on our phones. You know, we don't have to wait for that dial tone because we don't really dial. We don't dial anything anymore. So this is good for us because we're in a hurry and we want everything now. Now, that attitude oftentimes carries over into the way we treat people. I've seen this. Uh, some people get upset because they send an email or they, they leave a, a, a voicemail and it's not answered right away. And they're like, man, it's been an hour. They haven't answered. It's only been an hour, but they call again or they call somebody else and nobody's answering my phone calls. Nobody's answering my emails. Uh, we expect people to adapt and change quickly. Everything needs to be right now. I want things now. And if it's not, we want a detailed, a detailed answer why we couldn't get an answer right away. And we want to know when it's going to happen. So what happens is that sometimes then we not only apply it to people, but then we also apply it to God. We take our immediate right now mindset and we apply it to God and His plan and His purpose for our lives. We might get uh, a sense of what God wants us to do, God's direction for our life, or maybe we get a, a confirmation some way, somehow, of what God wants us to do. We get a promise from God, and uh, we expect God to act like McDonald's, you know, right away. Well, maybe that's not a good uh, illustration. Um, but, you know, we, we expect God to answer us right away. God, if this is what you have for me, then, then hurry up and do it. You know, we, we don't think about the fact that when God says that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, they will rise up like on wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired, they will walk and not grow faint. And we don't understand that sometimes there's a gap for a very good reason that maybe God alone understands. There's a gap between those that wait on the Lord and will rise up, will run, will walk. That verse doesn't promise that it's going to happen immediately, but we, we're conditioned to think immediately. And uh, so we get upset. We're like, I'm ready to go, God. What's, what's taking so long? We say we trust God, but then we doubt God's timing. And when, when we don't get what we want, when we want it, then we have this alarming tendency to decide that, well, God's not going to come through. God is not going to make it happen. So I've got to make it happen on my own. I've got to go out there and, and just grab the bull by the horns. And I've got to do this because God is not moving. 
So we're going to be talking about that today, looking at a story from the Bible. If you grew up in church, you know, you know this story. If you didn't grow up in church, you don't know this story. It's, it's got to be one of the strangest stories in the Bible. At the same time, it's one of the saddest. There's even a little, but I think it's kind of a funny part, uh, although tragic, in this story that we're going to read today. And it's a story about an entire group of people, not just any people, but God's chosen people, the Israelites, who decided that God was moving too slowly. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands, and it ended in a disaster. It was a disastrous ending. Now, the story is that God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt, and so now they're wandering in the desert. They're making their way to the promised land, but they're wandering around because of their lack of faith in God. Nevertheless, they've had some uh, remarkable miracles that God has performed uh, for them. The parting of the Red Sea. They were being led by a pillar of fire uh, at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. They've been miraculously protected by God. And uh, all those miracles and all those blessings are what make this story even more unbelievable. Now, right before we get to the, the part we're going to read, we're going to pick up the story. The people of God, the Israelites, have made a big, passionate commitment. And we read this in, in uh, Exodus 24. They've made this huge commitment uh, to God in which they said this, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Right? That's their commitment. They said this in mass. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. That's amazing. And then on top of that, Moses, Aaron, his brother, who was a high priest, and 72 of the top leaders of the Israelites, actually, the Bible says they actually saw God. They saw God. This is in Exodus 24, 9, beginning with verse 9. So what I'm saying to you is that they had every reason to believe that God was with them. Every reason to believe that and to act accordingly. So we pick up the story in Exodus 24. Look at Exodus 24, beginning with verse uh, 12. Exodus 24, 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Can we know now this were the Ten Commandments and, and, and many other uh, commandments that he had for them. Then verse 13, then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us. Until we come back to you, Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So they got some very clear direction from Moses. Yeah, he, he wasn't vague. He said, we're going up. You wait here until we come back. He told them what they were to do and how long they were to do this until they returned. So verse 15, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh, seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked 
like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up, um, as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. So what we see is that the Israelites could see what was going on. They they saw the the cloud on the mountain. They saw what looked like a consuming fire, and so they knew something is going on here. Uh, it was a reminder to them. Moses is up there. He's meeting with God. Moses will soon return to us with instructions, with the word of the Lord. But here is a problem. The last verse we just read, here is a problem. Verse 18 tells us that Moses stayed on this mountain 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. That was, ended up being too long for the people who had just said, everything that you want us to do, the people who had just said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. But um, now because it's been 40 days and things, you know, 40 days and 40 nights, things begin to change. So we're going to skip to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. When the people, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses. What? This is their leader. But they're like, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, like they didn't know who he was. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Again, these are the same people who had just previously, you know, prior to this, not too many days, had pledged obedience to God, who had seen his, his miracles. Some of the leaders had seen God himself. But now because it's been 40 days, they're ready for a new God. They're ready for, uh, for a different God. Moses, who cares? We want a new leader and we want a new God. And Aaron, who, by the way, was one of the men who had seen God, one of the men who had pledged obedience, he said this in verse 2, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. So he fashioned it. He was careful. That means he took his time doing this, right? This is important because we're going to read later what his excuse was. But he fashioned it. He took his time. He shaped it. So then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What in the world? This calf, this cow is the one that brought them out of Egypt? That's what the people were saying? I mean, it's only been 40 days, and they've forgotten all about God's power, all about His miracles, all about His care for them. These are your gods, really, Israelites? These, this cow delivered you out of Egypt? Verse 5 tells us that when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. What Lord is he talking about here? He's not talking about the Lord God. He's not talking about Jehovah. He's talking about 
the cow god. Aaron, the priest who saw God. Aaron said, tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord, to this cow. I mean, this wasn't a minor issue. This is not something we can just read about and say, oh, those crazy people. No, they elevated a golden cow to the place of God, even gave the golden cow credit for their deliverance from Egypt. And they said, this is a God who brought us out of Egypt, and we're going to have a festival to honor our new God. Wow, can you imagine that? If you were God, wouldn't that really upset you? After everything you had done for them, for them to make a cow and declare that's their God who brought them out of Egypt? I mean, if, if I were God, thank God I'm not, but if I were God and that were done to me, I, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd be angry. I might want to turn Aaron into a cow, see how he likes that. You know, or zap Aaron and the people with fire from heaven and then, uh, and then tell, tell them, well, let your cow rescue you now. You said he's your God. Let's see what he can do. So that's what Aaron said. And verse, look at verse 6. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings to their cow god. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So now they're offering sacrifices and worshiping this golden cow they just made the day before. And then they have this, they had this big drunken party. It's amazing how quickly they went from everything the Lord has said we will do to, well, God's taking too long. To, so let's make another God. To, let's get drunk <laughs> and celebrate and do our own thing. Now that's really, really sad, really tragic. But it, it might sound a little familiar. It might sound a little bit like us who uh, maybe have gone through the same process where we trust God. We've seen God do great things in our lives. And we even say, God, thank you for what you've done, and I trust you, God. But we go from there to, well, God, what, what's taking you so long to answer my prayer? What's taking you so long to fulfill your promise to me? To, you know what, I'm not sure that God even knows and cares about me anymore. To finally saying, well, you know what, I'll have to just make this happen on my own. Maybe I don't need God. I'll just, I'll just... I, maybe I'm God. We don't say that, but we say, well, I'm, I'll just do it on my own. I'll just, I'm smart. I've got life experience. I can take care of this. So really, we're tempted in much the same way and, and perhaps respond in much the same way. So let's see what happens here in verse 7 as we continue this story. Verse 7, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now notice something here. God doesn't call them my people anymore. Did you notice that? He didn't say my people. He said to Moses, These are your people. Now, how many of you parents identify with that? 
you know, you, your son does something great. He's your precious baby. When, when he does something wrong, he's, you, tell your, you tell your spouse, he's your son. This is what your son did, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we understand that. This, that's not too difficult for us to, to connect with and to relate with. So verse 9, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And notice what he says here. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now, what that tells me is that God still had a plan to make a great nation. Uh, the, the cow worshiping people, these foolish people were no longer going to be part of that plan, God says. Uh, but he's saying, look, they were, they're foolish. They didn't trust me. They were impatient. That doesn't stop my plan. My plan isn't done. I'm just going to use somebody else. So then in verse 11 tells us, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with, a great, pow with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Verse 13, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. You know, this is a reminder to me of how great a leader Moses was. And how he thought about this when God told him he's going to destroy them. Just let me at them, basically. Moses intercedes for the people. He intercedes for them with this great reasoning. And you know, he's just very, very thoughtful. He's a leader who cares for the people. And he cares for the name of God as well. And uh, so he interceded for them. And here's the response in verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was a writing of God engraved on the tablets. Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. In other words, he didn't really... He didn't really know what the sound was. But here's the point. I had almost forgotten when I was reading the story that Joshua was with Moses the whole time. He went to the mountain with Moses. He didn't go up higher to talk with God like Moses had done. But he was there in the mountain. And Joshua did what the people did not do. Joshua obeyed. And he obeyed the instructions of Moses. And Joshua waited. Now notice, he didn't have a bunch of people around him. Uh, he was by himself, by himself for 40 days and 40 nights, waiting on Moses to finish hearing from God. 40 days and 40 nights was too much for all the people. They turned to a false god. They created another god. But Moses, but uh, Joshua rather, didn't do that. He didn't create a new god. He waited on the true god. So now he's saying, basically, when he says there's a sound of war, it's like, what is that sound? It sounds like war. 
And uh, Moses had to tell him what it was in verse 18. He said, it's not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. In verse 19, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Now, this is a part that I think is a little bit humorous, even though it's sad, tragic. I mean, they're worshiping the golden calf. Moses comes and says, here's what I think of your, of your golden calf. Here's what I think of your cow God. Here, drink your God. Drink this. I'm assuming that the cow didn't seem much like a God to them when they had to drink it. And then Moses turns to Aaron, his brother, says, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? What did the people do to you that you'd let them into this great sin? Aaron's answer is amazing. Look at verse 22. His answer is amazing. He says, do not be angry, my Lord. Aaron answered, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Okay, I mean, so far, that's right. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Oh my word, really? Aaron, you insult me, Moses could have said. And now we know that Aaron is not only guilty of building an idol and leading the people to worship this idol, because he said, he's the one who said, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. Not only guilty of that grave sin, but he's also a liar. And not a very good liar, terrible liar. I mean, what a ridiculous story. We threw the jewelry into the fire and poof, there it was. It, there popped out this golden cow. What a ridiculous lie, right? But you know what? We're prone to do that too. When we know we've done wrong and uh, we feel convicted, we make up ridiculous stories to cover up our sin, to cover up our wrong. We say, I, you know, I'm not guilty. My brother or my sister or my coworker is guilty. Or we say, well, nobody ever told me this was wrong. Nobody ever told me it was wrong to you know, build a, uh, you know, an idol to fashion it. Nobody ever told me it was wrong uh, for me to have, you know, this relationship or to take this act. Uh, or people say, well, I can't help it. This is the way God made me. I can't help it. It wasn't me. I wasn't the only one there. So many excuses. Everybody else is doing it. So many excuses that we give. So really, it, it sounds so foolish when we hear Aaron say this, but I wonder how foolish our excuses sound to God. How foolish they are. Well, this story has a tragic ending. Because of the people's impatience and because of their sin, their grave sin, God, we read toward the end of the chapter that God sent a plague on them. Sent a plague. The people, the ones who made this, you know, who uh, made the cow and who danced to it and worshipped to it, not only suffered from this plague, not only suffered from this severe sickness, but there was even a greater punishment for them. And that was that none of them 
none of them got to enter into the promised land. Now, folks, the whole point of this 40 year journey, the whole point of them being in the desert for 40 years was to enter into the promised land. But the whole point of this 40 year journey was lost because they couldn't wait 40 days because of their impatience. They lost the point of a 40-year journey because they couldn't wait 40 days. Couldn't wait on God for 40 days. It's a sad story. How could people who knew the power of God become so impatient with Him that they decided to do their own thing? How foolish of them. So let's pull out of the story now. And let me just share some observations about what happens when we refuse to wait. Here's the first thing. Impatience with God's timing leads to sin and heartache. Impatience with God's timing leads to sin and heartache. The people didn't want to wait. And their impatience led them to sin and then to heartache. It was true for them. We read it in in the scriptures and it's true for us. Because when we're not willing to wait on God's timing, we miss God's plan and we end up settling for something else other than God's plan. Why would we do that? Why would we settle for something other than God's plan? Just because we're impatient, because we're so conditioned to receive things now that we do things on our own. That's what the Israelites did. They, they settled for a fake God. But none of them made it into the promised land. They turned their back on the true God for a fake God. Now, I know uh, none of us are going to go home and melt, all, melt our jewelry in, in, into a cow that we're going to worship. But the lesson, I think, is the same. And that is that when you're impatient with God's timing, it leads you to sin and to heartache. Because you've abandoned your plan, God's plan and gone with your plan. How many people have found themselves... In miserable marriages because they simply weren't willing to wait on God. I've heard it. I've heard people say, I I just I don't know if I'll have another chance if I don't marry him or marry her. And so they get ahead of God's plan. And then they they end up being in a miserable marriage. And that doesn't mean that God can't save that. Doesn't mean that God can't work in that marriage. He can. But It's harder when they start off settling for something less than what God had for them. How many people are in a financial mess because they decided that God wasn't moving quickly enough. So they abandoned God's plan, decide that their plan is going to is going to work better. All because God didn't move quickly enough. They might say, well, you know what? I tried tithing. I tried it. It didn't work. I gave my tithe on Sunday and, and on Monday the bills were still there. You know, they they just. They're not willing to wait. I could go on and on. You know, you have a promise or you feel like you have a word from God, something that God really wants you to do, but it's not happening on your, on your timetable. You trust that the promise is from God. You trust that the word is from God, but you don't trust the God of the promise enough to trust His timing. So you take over, you take over, you take matters into your own hands and you try to make it happen. You try to manufacture God's uh, timing, as if God needs your assistance. And then you wonder why things didn't turn out. Didn't work out. On the other hand, here's what we learn also. 
that patience with God's timing leads to blessing and promotion. Patience with God's timing leads to blessing and promotion. Joshua, who was patient, and again, he was by himself. He was by himself. He didn't have anybody around him to encourage him. And uh, even so, he, he waited. He obeyed the instructions that Moses gave him. And he waited for Moses. He trusted. He trusted God's timing. And so he became the leader of this great nation. He was able to enter into the promised land when the rest of the people were not. Why was that? Because he was willing to wait. By himself on the side of the mountain, he was willing to wait because he trusted God enough to wait. Now, what did Joshua do while he was waiting? Well, the Bible doesn't say what he did. But we know what he didn't do. He didn't decide that God had forgotten about him. He didn't decide that God was unfaithful. He didn't decide that he was going to worship something else. He didn't abandon what he knew was right to do. And as a result, he was promoted. He was elevated. When, when you're willing to wait on God, I believe you'll receive the same blessing from God. Because that's God's plan all along. That's God's plan all along. He didn't give you a promise in order not to keep it. He gave you a promise that He wants to keep. God's not playing cruel tricks with you, folks. Just because there's a gap between the promise and the fulfillment, just because there's a gap between you waiting on the Lord and having enough strength to rise up, on wings like eagles, having enough strength to run and to walk and not get tired and not get faint. He's not playing a cruel trick on you. God's timing is perfect. Because God not only knows what you need, but He knows exactly when you need it. And we don't, we're not privy to God's thinking and, and, and you know, why he, he, he waits a certain amount of time. We're not privy to that. So... You know, all too often we abandon his plan because we question his timing. We say, why do I have to wait? And we, we want to rush things. When we rush things, uh, we miss, uh, we abandon his plan and miss his timing. So, you know, last week I told you the, the first principle was I can't accomplish God's plan without God's power. So the principle we're talking about today, and I'm giving it, I'm giving it to you here at the end. Now we're winding things down. The principle we're talking about today is this. Trusting God's plan means trusting God's timing. Trusting God's plan means trusting God's timing. You can't say that you trust God and you trust His plan if you're not trusting His timing. If you've doubted His timing before, if you've, if you've abandoned God's plan and you've doubted God's timing and you've, you're doing things on your own, what should you do now? I would say... Stop. I would say stop it. Stop it. Do you all remember the old Bob Newhart show? That was his famous line, stop it. He was a psychiatrist and his people came to him, you know, his uh, clients, and they'd tell him I'm doing this, and he'd say, stop it, stop it. Yeah, I'm saying to you, stop. If, if you're in the process of moving on your own because you're just impatient with God's timing, Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to manufacture the fulfillment of God's uh, promise. 
Just simply wait on the Lord. And I know that some people, whether here today or watching online, some people have been waiting for a long time. Now, maybe it's not really that long. You just think it's a long time. It feels like a long time because when you're waiting on God, you know, there's a sense like, man, I've been waiting for a long time. Or maybe it really is a long time. Maybe it really is years. And maybe you feel like giving up on God because he hasn't delivered on your timetable. I just want to tell you, trust in God. Wait on God. Devote yourself to waiting, to serving. Devote yourself to drawing closer to God. Devote yourself to the ministry that, you know, whatever it is that is before you at that point, at this point, And let God answer and strengthen you on His timetable. To strengthen you to rise up on wings like eagles. To strengthen you to run and not grow tired. To walk and not grow faint. Trust God to do that in His timing. I'd like for us uh, tonight, or today rather, as we conclude, to just have a, a moment of of responding to God's word and, and just saying to God, Lord, I, I really do trust you. That old hymn says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. There's a, there's a peace when we take God at his word. We find out that God is a miracle worker. God does things that uh, we know that he does and that he'll do. Let's just trust in Him. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I, I come before you today, Lord, just thanking you for the things that you speak into our hearts and lives. There is not a person here today, including me, who has not become impatient, maybe even panicked. I've done that, God. When your promise was, according to us, was delayed. Father, I am guilty of panicking because I thought, Lord, I need this answer and I need it now. And I'm guilty of trying to take matters into my own hands. So really, we're not so different from the Israelites in the story we read today in your word. We're not so different because we... We don't create a golden calf, but we make our our own knowledge and wisdom a God. And we say, well, I can handle this. I, I know what to do here. Forgive us for the times we've done that, Lord. We want to trust in you, Lord. We want to live a life that says we trust you. Live a life that says I'm waiting on God. And I'm at peace. I'm at peace. And so, Lord, I pray for that person who right now has been waiting for a long time. And they feel like, what's going to happen? Should I give up? And maybe they, they're tempted and have even, even taken a step toward turning their back on you, Lord. Don't let that happen. Help us to trust in you. That we might reach the point, Lord, of complete trust. Like Job who said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. To that extent, dear God. We need you, Father. We turn to you right now.